0: And uh, we want to continue to talk about ourselves here in, in, uh, as we talk about serving. And we've been talking about serving for the past several weeks. Our, our theme passage and memory passage for serving um, is Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, which is really easy to remember, right? Because it's Philippians 2, 3, 4. Well, that makes it simple. Now, memorizing the passage has been a little bit of a challenge because I originally memorized it in another version And you know how that always messes you up when they get those silly modern versions you want to change things up. But he talks about do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, value others over yourselves and consider not just your own interest, but also look to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And there are many different ways that we can do this. Many different ways to serve, many different ways to give, Uh, But we're going to focus on some very specific ones, some very specific areas. And today, we're going to focus on the area of serving in our community. Champaign County, as Dave pointed out in communion, we got people all over the place. Actually, I think there's five counties represented among our membership. If you're not in Champaign County, well, just make the application, okay? We're not going to mention all of them, but serving in our community. And the theme passage for this comes from Romans chapter 13. And in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, let's read this passage. The passage says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other commands there may be are summed up in this. Uh, they're summed up in this one command love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, sometimes we read this passage and people will read it and they'll talk about, oh, see, this is uh, let no debt remain outstanding. We should not go into debt. We should not be into debt. And be that as it may, whatever, that's not the point of this passage. The point of this passage is to really point out to us that, yes, we are in debt, but it's a debt of love. Now, when I think about debts, debts are things like, okay, uh, uh, you know, someone does something for me or someone gives me, and now I am in debt. I owe them. Okay, that's kind of that, how, how debts work. And we think through, well, what has been done for me? And, and again, Dave touched on this earlier when he was talking about remembrances, particularly remembering what God has done for us, what what Jesus has done for us. And we can think through those things and we can think immediately about God's grace, God's mercy, God's incredible love for us. We can think about Jesus' love for us and His sacrifice to give of Himself for our salvation and how they together through the years and through our lives are, are desperate, are eager to take care of us to help us to bless us to do whatever they can to strengthen us that is our debt that is our debt of love the debt that we owe and the apostle john who was nicknamed the apostle of love he understood this debt concept he understood this debt of love And matter of fact in his letter first john uh, he, he wrote the gospel of john but he also wrote three short letters and the one of them we call 1 John chapter 4, verses 10, 11, and then I, I tack on verse 19. Not that 12 through 18 weren't important. It's just that I, I put them together and it was too long to read. But in, in verse 10, it says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our, friend, for our sins. Dear friends, he says, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We love because he first loved us. Love is and has and always has been the standard for the debt that we owe. And and what strikes me about this, this passage, the one in Romans 13, that theme passage... What really struck me as I was looking into this and, you know, wrestling with it, when he says that it was the fulfillment of the law, and the fulfillment of the law is seen in love for others, and, you know, my whole life, I've kind of looked at, well, you know, the Old Testament, the law, that's that that list of regulations and do's and don'ts, and it's kind of, you know, hard and... Cold, and it's just do this, do this, don't do this, do that, and it's not really emotional. It's not really. And what he's saying is, is no. Actually, love is the goal of the whole thing. And to love your neighbor is to fulfill all of those things. It says you complete the law, which struck me love is what God was after the whole time, not just compliance with rules, but love. Because, like any father, God wants his children to love one another. He wants all his children to love one another, regardless of their race, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of uh, their nationality or their culture or their political party. He wants us all, his children, not just the children who are disciples of Jesus, he wants all his children to love one another. And yes, those that said, "I'm going to be i disi- I'm going to follow Jesus who is the living breathing example of love." He says, "You guys need to show those who aren't yet disciples of Jesus. Those of my children who are not disciples." See, sometimes we think we're the only ones who are children of God. But the whole planet are children of God. And he says, "I want you all to show love." That's the whole point of the Bible is to teach you love one Another, consider back in Romans 13, when he goes on, he says the commandments, he, he lists some, right? He says, uh, don't commit adultery, uh, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet someone, and then in case, you know, whatever, he just kind of, instead of lists them all, because there's a lot of them, he says, and whatever other command there may be, right? Just all of them, okay? He says all of those things, he says he breaks them on down, that is, they summed up in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. We're so quick to point out some of those other sins in each other. The moral sins. The sexual sins. Maybe the uh, the, 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 the integrity sins. of lying, cheating, things like that. But do we really talk about, do you love your neighbor? Because to not love a neighbor, that's, that gets down to the root of Of where all sin comes from. Matter of fact, all of those things he listed coveting, murder, stealing, you know, all that. He says, God, the thing is, you're not going to do any of that to people you love. Love is the goal. That's why I'm telling you to love one another. He's bringing it back to the real basics. And I think about this and I think of myself as as a parent and I was raising my kids and how much I stressed to them. Morals, integrity, ethics. And, and, and all of those things are important, but but wow. Maybe I should have stressed a whole lot. Just love your neighbor as yourself. Love them for who they are. You see, kids, you don't come into this world hating one another. You don't come into this world with prejudices and preconceived ideas you got to be taught these things you got to be taught who to hate you got to be taught who is different you got to be taught who to trust and who not to trust if we spent though that much time teaching love your neighbor as yourself how different our children would be and if we all did that how different our world would be and if that weren't enough, right, if, if the Holy Spirit didn't get his point across yet, he inspired Paul to keep writing, and in verse 10 there, of Romans 13, he says, love does no harm to his neighbor, okay? He says, therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, I, I, I looked up that word, harm, and it's not like, you know, love doesn't go over there and punch his neighbor in the mouth, I mean, that would be harmful, that's true, but it's <laughs> It's more than that. It it's actually gets more to the heart. It's more than actions. It says love doesn't even think bad things. It doesn't even uh, 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 think less of or negatively of the neighbor. That's where love is at. And he says it fulfills the law. And that word fulfill is a, used, was a word often used in shipping uh, and, and stuff because that was pretty much everything that you know, moved product back in those days was limited to ships and stuff like that. And it says when a ship was up to capacity, it's got it. You can't put any more on it, then it was fulfilled. And it says what love does is that you take all of God's law. Love is what fills it all the way up. It makes it full. The challenge for most of us is is when we think neighbor, we think people that we have something in common with, even if it's something as simple as we live on the same street. But as the farther and farther we get away from what we can relate to and what we can connect with, we tend to think less and less like, this is my neighbor. And so Jesus really tries to narrow this down and points this out. And he tries to, who is my neighbor? And you know, you think of that story of the Good Samaritan, right? Who is my neighbor? That's what they asked Jesus. And so he told them that story. And he very purposely told it about that the hero of the story was a guy that was a Samaritan, which was, that was the guy that was different. That was the guy in Jesus' community, in Jesus' culture, they were the ones that they were supposed to treat differently. The Samaritans were the other guys. So Jesus, to make his point, makes that guy the Samaritan. And at the end of the story as he's wrapping it all up in Luke chapter 10, that's where the whole Good Samaritan thing is, in verses 36 and 37, he says, which of the three of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert of the law said, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus replied, go and do likewise. And that statement lets me know Jesus isn't trying to teach us something here. He's giving a directive. He's saying, you need to do this. Don't just learn it. Don't go, oh, that was so powerful, Jesus. That was great. Go do something with it, right? Dwight Moody, he was a famous uh, Bible scholar, said scripture is not given for our information. Scripture is given for our transformation. We need to be transformed by these things. I hope that we're inspired and transformed not just impressed with information, because we can't really love our neighbor. I'm talking about the neighbor that's very different from us, unless that truly comes from the inside. I might be able to fake it for a little while, but not for long. It's very important. It's very important for me to see God's love for everyone in Champaign County and my neighbors, everyone because when I can see God's love for them, it's a whole lot easier for me to see my love for them. And God wants it. Because God sees good in everyone. God sees good in everyone. Now, some people hide it. Some people reject it. But it's there. And God's doing everything he can to try to bring it out. Do we, do we try to help him? Do we try to show people what God's love for a neighbor is really all about? Do we exemplify it? And I'm not talking about as a church here. I'm talking about as individuals. I'm talking about people doing it. As disciples of Jesus, each of us as little bitty Jesuses, living in our community, living in our environment. It helps me to hear examples of this. And I know we've got many examples right here in a church. You know, we've got uh, people who work with the homeless here in a church. We've got people, of course, have people show up to help with feeding our kids once every month. One of our members, Steve Essex, he now, he became the president of the board of, free, of feeding our kids to get involved. But I'm going to share another example this morning. Somebody you guys don't know. This is my uncle. I attended his uh, funeral virtually this past Friday. Uncle James, or Jim, was 87 years old, and he lived down in Houston. The last time I saw Uncle Jim, Phyllis and I, uh, he he and his wife Martha took us out to dinner about 15 years ago when we first were in Houston. Uh, That's the last time I saw him. And uh, I was watching this funeral, and I learned so much about him, and I was so inspired by the things I did not know about him. And when I, I, I talked to my brother that night, he, he had physically gone to the funeral, and we were talking about it, and I go, I didn't know all of this stuff about Uncle Jim. He goes, I didn't either. People should have talked about him more when he was alive. I said, yeah, because he is so inspiring. Let me, let me share with you a couple of things, because it's a great example of serving a community. Now, he lived in Houston. That's a pretty big community, okay? He lives in this massive metropolitan. He, he attended this church, the Bammel Road Church of Christ, which is, to be honest, it's a, it's a very wealthy suburban church. But there was also a church in Houston called the Impact Church of Christ, and this church is right down in the heart of the downtown area, and its sole mission is to serve the homeless in the Houston area. And they do a lot of different things for the homeless, but one of the things they do is they invite other church Uh, to come in once, you know, I mean, you know, each Sunday a different church comes in and they provide and cook a meal for all of the homeless who come to the service. And then they serve that meal, a big banquet type of thing, and reach out to those people. And so Uncle James says, I want to go do that. And so he went. And he told them, though, he goes, I don't want to cook. And I don't really want to serve the food. And he said, well, what do you want to do? He goes, I want to go visit with people. I want to go hang out with these guys. I want to go eat with them. So they said, okay, you just go mix it up. And so he did. And in doing so, he, uh, one time he met this uh, young woman and her seven-year-old son. And in the course of talking to them, he discovered that this young woman, they were homeless, living in a shelter, and she was also in late-stage uh, terminal ovarian cancer. And her one wish and request was that before she died, she wanted to give her son, she wanted to see her son have this, uh, a great seventh birthday party. She had never been able to do that for him. And Jane goes, I can figure this out. And so the people that were sharing this story, they talked about this big room. And And he said, I don't know, one of the guys said, it seemed like every inflatable in West Houston was in that room. And they had food and cupcakes and all of that stuff. And they invited all these kids to come celebrate this birthday. He said they had cotton candy machines, which is one of my favorites. They had snow cone machines. They just went over and aboard, uh, over and beyond uh, what we could. And and they said when that woman and her son walked in the room, their faces were, were just overwhelmed with what had been done now. That was a special thing. And James said, I can do that. That doesn't change their lives, but it makes a special thing. Shows someone cares. Someone is thinking about you. Someone loves you enough to do this for you. But James says, I want to do more. Because what we can do, we can do those one-time events, those one things just to help that one person make it through the day. Make it through a hard time. But what about changing their lives? I mean, are are we really making a difference? And James says, I want to try to do that. I want to try to break this cycle that I see so much. And James was not a super wealthy guy. They did okay. They were comfortable. But he goes, what can I do to really break the cycle of homelessness in a major metropolitan area like Houston, Texas? So he worked and he worked and he talked to people, and he had lunches with people, blah, 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 until he finally figured out how to start the Jim Brooks Scholarship Fund to send kids to college. And in their time and in his life, they had sent 55 kids through college. And you guys are college students, you know how much that cost. Okay, if they multiply your college tuition by 55. And I don't know how he did it. I'm, I'm going to find out. How did he come up with all of that? But it wasn't just that. Every one of those 55, they were the first one in their family to go through college. They came from families in homeless situations. Their parents, one or both, maybe were incarcerated. Or their parents were uh, plagued and hindered and burdened with, with incredible drug or alcohol uh, struggles that would, kept them from from, from, from being able to, 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 you know, provide that thing that they needed for their family. All of these things, incredible pain and hardship. And he goes, I want to try to help these kids. So 55 of them. And, and it was incredible what, what they talked about doing that. Uh, they talked about of those 55, there's three of them are engineers. Three of them are RNs. Numerous people went into education. One is a principal. 15 of them are teachers. One of them is a counselor. One is a constable. One is the man, uh, manager of another nonprofit organization that helped to, to serve others in the Houston area. All because this one guy said, I want to do something to help break this cycle, to help change not just a day, but a life. And he did both. And he inspired me. He challenged me. The impact of his life, I hope, is an example for all of us. There are people we know around. I I, I don't want to overlook all of that. This past week, Dave Tomlinson and I were down in uh, Texas for three days, just ran down there to pick up the Hope truck and Hope trailer that had been down there for a month to help with the hurricane relief. So We had a long drive back for two days, and we're talking and talking. And I've asked Dave the question that I've asked for 13 years, what can we do? What can we do in Champagne? When I saw this funeral, and honestly, I was watching the funeral and working on this lesson at the same time, and I went, wow, thank you, God, because it inspired me. I can do something. I got an idea. I don't know how to make it work. I don't know how to pull it off, but I got something. That's for me. But what about you? I want to encourage you this morning, if God hadn't put an idea on your heart, pray for it. Pray, God, show me how I can love my neighbor in my community. Yeah, we give to missions, but that's, that's overseas and around other parts of the Midwest. I'm talking about right here. How can I love my neighbor as myself? What can I do, God? But if you pray that, get ready, because that's always God, That's God's plan all along, so he's going to answer that prayer. He's going to put something on your heart. It may scare you to death. I hope it does. You may be thinking, I have no idea how to do this. That's not the problem we talked about last week. That's God's problem. Your problem is giving something to work with. In my community, love my neighbor as myself, and together we will fulfill the law of God.